In a world where negativity, toxicity, and hatred runs rampant, two superheroes. What? Oh, not superheroes? So like two regular heroes? Not even regular heroes? Just two dudes? Sure, whatever. It's your script. Two nerds who are sick of toxic fandom have made it their goal to rid the world of negativity one hour at a time. Hello and welcome back to Poptimistic, the most wholesome nerd podcast in town. I'm your host, Anthony. And I'm your other host, Brent. And today we'll be talking with my esteemed girlfriend, Emerald. (laughs) Hi, I'm Emerald. So today we'll be kind of running a theme of sci-fi, classic sci-fi, but uh, until we get there, I want to see what's bringing everybody joy right now. So uh, funny, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the theme today right off the bat, because I do not know a lot about classic sci-fi. I like really enjoy the classic sci-fi I do know, but it really inspired me to kind of look around and find some things I had never looked at Ooh. before. So I found a book that I'm reading that I don't even know if classifies as classic sci-fi, but it's older than I am, I think. I think. That's classic. Probably not. That's vintage. <laughs> Have you guys ever read the book Snow Crash? Yeah. I just started reading it and like mafia pizza guy with an electric gun and some katanas. Come on. Uh, I haven't read it. It's on my shelf, actually. So that's I I will say I I failed. But classic author. He wrote Necromancer as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So see, I didn't know that. Yeah. Very classic sci-fi stuff. Actually, my friend Ian gifted me uh, both those books and I have not read them because I'm a terrible friend (laughs) and terrible nerd. I literally just started reading it yesterday, though, and it's like... Super enjoyable. Oh, I good. love it so far. All right. I'll have to put it um, next. The other thing I'm enjoying, which is not sci-fi at all, um, is Shit's Creek. I don't <laughs> oh, know if you yes. guys watch Shit's Creek. It's so good. It it's, it's so excellent. funny. Yeah. It's The writing is so on point, and like, both Eugene and his son Daniel are just a delight in it. it they just wrote it for themselves, and it's perfect. I know. Well, it, it apparently started off as like a 14-minute like one-off thing they did, and then everyone loved it, and they're like, well, let's do more. Yeah. It's true. But I, it's, it's so funny. The writing is so good. It is. The acting is all. Moira's phenomenal. She's just, you love to hate her in a way. Oh, Moira's great. Well, and like Alexis and David yeah. are just like hilarious. I love that every time Alexis talks to David, she has to end it off with like saying David's name. And it's just like so like sassy and bratty. We, we have a we have a friend named David and that. Friend, like three friends named David. That's also true. Uh, but that friend group. Uh, always does the the David. They're like, ew, David. I wish I hung out with more David so I could do it. You can have some of ours. Oh, thank goodness. We like have four. <laughs> just even if it's the one you like the least, just scrape them off the bottom, give them to me, and I'll take them. <laughs> we have upwards of seven. Emerald, <laughs> hello. What's bringing you joy hello. this week? Um, I just finished my job, so I have two weeks off. That's true. She does. Got a little vacation. That's awesome. Do some homework. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I just, there's just something today, you know? There's just something in the air, feeling a little good. I don't think anything big happened. Nothing certainly was announced or anything, but it just feels like a little weight has been sort of taken off my shoulders. Very orange weight. Like a four-ish year long weight. (laughs) A little less bronzer in the air. I don't know what it is. (laughs) A four-year-long tan haze has been cleared. 
Yeah, not to. Um, there's. Uh, this is not a political podcast. I'm just saying it's a little easier to breathe today, huh? Yeah. You know. I think. Uh, I think for the majority, everyone I know is pretty happy. Well, for the majority. Yeah. I yeah, know yeah. some people <laughs> are not so happy, but that I mean happens. that's how it is with all elections. That's right. But... Wait, there's election to happen? I didn't even. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you guys watched his speech. Yeah. So positive. And so, like... Kamala brought tears to my eyes. Well, that's because she's perfect. <laughs> I'm so excited for her to be the vice president. But I don't know. It was just, like, something just rang so true with me. And I was, like, so excited because with us doing this podcast lately, it's been, like, we really have to, like, try to find the optimism in a lot of yeah. things. Yeah. And that, like, just all of Biden's speech was so on point of, like, this beautiful, optimistic talk about uniting the nation and not being a blue versus red country and just, ah, it was, it was delight. Yeah. So, um, what do we have? This will be the fourth episode and we'll be done. Just, there's just hope and optimism and we're good to go. We can just, yeah, no, we're done. Yeah. We, we solved it guys. We did it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I didn't want to get too political. Oh, oh, oh. So I, I do want to, before we, I'm going to, I'm going to do an Oreo sandwich here in the middle is kind of shit. So I just read on Twitter and I just wanted to say, uh, Alex Trebek died. And R.I.P. What a legend! I don't know Whoa. if you heard about this. I'm so sorry to tell you, Brent, but yeah, he uh, he just died this morning, um, surrounded by friends and family. Oh, and, that uh, sucks. Yeah, that... he was 80. Oh, but what a, what a legend! What a great guy! I always and I I was raised on Jeopardy. So. If you want to talk about optimistic, let's talk about a guy that even like after he announced all of the the cancer oh stuff gosh. and like kept hosting the show and going through all of it, was just like upbeat positive what a what a shining beacon of hope yeah that he was for such a long time and it's a great way to put it i don't know just the way he treated like all of his contestants and i guarantee the way he treated all of the staff on the show like yeah just a swell dude that's that's a that's a bummer yeah there's been nothing but uh nothing but love from what we can tell he was just a very good man well hey you know it's like we say you got to celebrate celebrate that life and instead of <laughs> Being sad. Well, we could be sad, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah, he's definitely one to celebrate because he was a. That's he true. seemed like a genuinely good dude. Yep. And I asked Emerald, I was like, "You ever you ever watched Jeopardy?" She was like, "No." And I was like, "Okay, moving on." <laughs> <laughs> and then the other side of that sandwich is we've been binging through Harry Potter, um, the movies. Honestly, the best part of that is just remembering how much I loved it, and not so much the movies, but just you know, the stories. <laughs> oh yeah, Emerald. Do you want to chime in about the movies? Well, this this binge comes after the Lord of the Rings binge, yep. the marathon nine-hour just... We didn't even watch the extended... That's a chore. Those movies are a chore. But um, they're really good, and I think the Harry Potter movies after that just leave a little something to be desired. But it's really like the... For the Harry Potter movies, it's not so much the movies as it is, like, for me, like... <laughs> The growing up with it and the atmosphere and the characters yep. and like, you know, the movies and the plot are like, well, it's fun to watch, but they're not like standalone good movies. So <laughs> We were kind of talking about they're like cliff notes for the books. They are. Especially as they kind of move along, they get long, like the books, you know, obviously got exponentially larger. And then the movies, you kind of have to like cap. You're like, OK, well, we have to we have two and a half hours at this point. We're not going to go over that. So, um, yeah, for me, it's the nostalgia. I read I didn't read. Uh, I was introduced to it in fifth grade, I believe. And our teacher read it aloud to us, which got me really interested in the series. And I followed it. And I even like when I went to Scotland one time, they had um, 
the release of the Order of the Phoenix was out, and I got the English version. So I got really confused because they had all the English words in there, you know, uh, <laughs> the Philosopher's Stone and stuff. And uh, I just remember, yeah, growing up with those books, and it's just a nice nostalgic feeling. While the, maybe we're kind of on our phones sometimes <laughs> while the movies are up, it's still just nice to feel that. Yeah, I've I've literally never read the books. My wife has read the books many a time. So like I I really liked the movies and then when we got married I was like, Oh we should watch Harry Potter and she was like, No, I won't watch those movies and it's like, Oh oh interesting. Why? <laughs> and, but yeah, she She's a purist. She likes the uh, she likes the books. Although she has been watching the movies with me here and there. Like it, it's like we'll watch one, and then a couple months later, she's like, "Okay, we can watch the next one." <laughs> but, she um, have to like wash the taste out. It's I yeah exactly. I like watching it with her though because she points out the stuff that they left out from the book, like stuff that I wouldn't have oh. known. And so it's like, oh cool. So you get you get a BTS commentary exactly. Yep. I think one thing that's interesting about Harry Potter is. For, for both the books and the movies, the enemy is kind of omnipresent, but isn't actually a character until, like, the fourth one. Yeah. And it really sets, like, an unconventional stage in the first three, because you have this guy who's, like, the enemy the whole time, but he's not actually there, you know? But it's masterful world building. Um, I, I really... We were thinking... We were talking about rereading the books. Uh, I think as... Let's let's just say maybe she kind of, uh, in society's view, kind of passed away a couple of years ago, and J.K. Rowling will always be known for her <laughs> excellent uh, <laughs> book series, and didn't say anything on Twitter about other <sighs> people's rights. But uh, yeah, what a what a good series. Um, we've just kind of been reminded of that, and I, I do want to actually reread. As a thirty-two year old man that's never read them, should I read these books? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. That was wow. I've got them on my bookshelf <laughs> right now too. Like they're sitting there. I could just do it, but I've never. They're so much fun, and I think as an adult, you can just kind of blast through them, and yeah. it's yep. just so fun. Well, yeah. hey, there we go. Maybe by the next time. Well, no, next podcast, I will not have read all of them. Nope. Maybe I'll have one. Done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm in. I just want to throw out there. I'm not much of a fantasy guy. I mean, I'm more of a sci-fi guy. Like with you, Emerald. I'm, I don't really like the fantasy stuff. But this series was so well written, and the characters are really good, and it's like really fun. And then there's also just a lot of stakes. Like the world building is so good. Um, that it brought me as a sci-fi person into a fantasy world. So, and and I tried like the other like hardcore sci- uh, fantasy things. Like I think it was R.A. Salvatore and and stuff like that. And I just I can't do it. It's hard for my brain to visualize fantasy. Uh, but they she did a good job just sort of building the world. And the grammar is really it's really well written in terms of the actual grammar and in sentence structure they did an analysis on her sentence structure and it's oh, wow. uh it's very very yeah. there's so many more characters in the books too which yep. i think makes it so cool i mean there's like hundreds and hundreds of characters that don't show up in the movies well that's what my wife would point out too and like she she would talk about ones that got cut out then it's like well i don't understand and she gets real upset about someone being cut out and i'm like i don't feel like that guy was important at all but i'm sure when i read the book i'll I'll feel differently. Who knows? <laughs> I'm excited for your book report. Uh, Thank you. Wow, no. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't written a book report in years. I would prefer to stay away from that. If we're going to talk series at some point, um, I want to talk to you about the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. It's one of my Oh favorite. my gosh, yes. I'd love to talk about that. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we'll save that for another time. And then the movie. We can talk about the movie, too. I haven't even <laughs> seen the movie. I'm not... I don't want to see it. <gasps> 
Well, then we're gonna have to watch it. You're gonna watch it. Cause Emerald likes bad movies, right? Cause I love, I love watching bad movies. So I think that you should have to just watch it and then you're gonna have to come with a big old shine or light a candle on it. Yep. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a fair point. What yeah. have I gotten myself into with this podcast? So speaking of light a candle, we can start with today's theme if we want and yes. do a bit of light a candle. So uh, we're gonna talk sci-fi generally today. Uh, sci-fi classics, I guess. But our light a candle uh, we're thinking of doing um, is sci-fi reboots and sequels. So usually, you know, reboots and sequels are very are panned. Oh, I see a hand. Emerald would like to talk now. And adaptations. Taking sci-fi oh. into different faucets and turning it in from books to movies and vice versa. Yeah, and like Dune or... How people mess up sci-fi. Okay. Do you want to start? Give us an example. Um, well, this was an afterthought from you, but, um, oh. I don't have notes on this. Just let me preface that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hardly ever have notes on anything, so. One of our most, like, relevant, um, kind of reboots is, is the Star Wars reboot. And Star Wars, of course, isn't, like, hardcore sci-fi, but part of the opening point here that I'm opening with is, like, how we define sci-fi. And, uh, historically... You know, way back when, sci-fi wasn't science fiction, right? Because science wasn't as um, science-y as it is today. So um, the genre sci-fi historically started as speculative fiction. Um, and therefore, you know, way back when, sci-fi and fantasy were very much intertwined, almost the same sure. time. Because there wasn't a lot of, like, you know, the advent of science in the 17th through 19th centuries really started what we know of as sci-fi today. But, you know... Sci-fi and fantasy are more of a Venn diagram than they are completely different genres. So Yeah, that's fair. I, I Welcome to Sci-Fi 101 <laughs> with your professor, Emerald Jones. I was going to say, you sound so smart right now. I was like, I, <laughs> this, this conversation went like above my head in like two seconds flat, but I'm so happy it did. Well, I mean, and I think a lot of the like the big lists how we rank sci-fi we we include fantasy um and like some of the greats like lord of the rings and star wars and hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and fahrenheit 51 and all of those kind of deal with the same concepts but just different worlds and have a lot of the same themes going in and out so for the purposes of my class today boys okay. we're going to generally include both as the same genre and talk about where they separate and historically okay. where they actually started to diverge i love that so much and i, I think it's funny because anthony was talking about you know how he's less into the sci-fi and more into the the fantasy and for nope, other oh way sorry other way around <laughs> Rough. yep for no, me, because what I'm trying to say for me is it's the other way around. I started very heavily based in fantasy stuff like Lord of the Rings was my absolute favorite growing up and stuff like that. Right. So then all of the stuff you're ta talking about, like the correlation between the two, it makes it so easy to fall into that sci-fi and get drawn into it. And I think mm. that's that, I think that's such a fun factor of all of it. I think that's interesting, though. Well, I think that's, that's true. Where, the, yeah. where you guys talk about the toxic fandoms kind of come from. You know, in the, the last, like, 30 years with the advent of especially, like, film portrayals of sci-fi and fantasy, the fandoms have really separated between sci-fi versus fantasy. And, like, the truth is when you analyze the literature and the history and the films, they're really not all that separate. <laughs> Yeah. You're still dealing with, you know, an art form that is like entirely based on speculation and yeah. creating things that we can't see and touch ourselves. 
Yeah, so. for instance, I would say Dune is probably a good um, example of that. It's very fantasy-based, um, but it is the genre is sci-fi. But why... I, and my, my question is almost like, how does that begin? Because, like you were saying, you are making it up and you're like, you, oh, it's just like, oh, it's kind of like it exists in this universe versus it doesn't. Yeah, so so what we're going to talk about first is how this all began, right? So there's two main schools of thought on the origin of sci-fi. And the sci-fi purists, which are the <laughs> probably the toxic fandom sci-fi bros that you guys know today, would probably <laughs> argue that sci-fi only became possible in the 17th through 19th centuries because astronomy, math, and science had progressed enough for authors to create our well-known sci-fi concepts, right? So that's one school of thought where the 19th and 20th century are regarded as the golden age of sci-fi, and we came from there. The other okay. school of thought is sci-fi originated in 2100 BCE with the ancient poems and epics from Mesopotamia, the Arabian Nights, ancient Indian poetry, and started there and, you know, birthed things like Gulliver's Travels, Shakespeare's The Tempest, and sci-fi birthed from ancient world fantasy. And the progression of science really just altered that and started the divergence of pure sci-fi versus fantasy. So if you think on the ancient world, right, they're not thinking about robots. Yeah, right. They're thinking about gods and fairies and, like, that kind right. of stuff. So in Their a way... Their science in that way, uh, through that lens, it makes it science fiction versus... If yeah. We, if we think about it today, it's more like fantasy, but that's interesting because we know more and it, the genre has shifted in a way. That's really interesting to think about. Exactly. So for the purposes of our argument today, I would like to define sci-fi. Are we going to argue? I was hoping you would. I really want to. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to define sci-fi as speculative fiction, where you are writing through a lens of speculation about things that could be that we don't have right now. And so that's, okay, I hate that's, that, and so that's what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, think it, I think it explains sci-fi from a historical concept a little bit more clearly. You know, no, I agree. I think, yeah. that's really I think sci-fi has been ever-present, and I think the, the themes are something that like, humanity has always expressed. Right, these themes of dystopia and like other powers that we can't like understand taking over. Yeah, um, and that's not really original to sci-fi; it's original to ancient world fantasy and, and speculation. So I think that for for my <laughs> own sanity is where I think of sci-fi starting is way back there, but just written through a different lens from what they understood. And you see, that blew I mean, my mind, and I love it. I, yeah, that was. <laughs> whew. I was just like, oh, I'll just put together a list of my favorite sci-fi movies. I didn't know I was going to fucking learn shit. I just got like a dissertation, and it was beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think Gorgeous. when we think about sci-fi today, we have to understand that, you know, the the thought that robots could take over isn't something that someone just randomly thought of. It's a theme yeah. that's changed over time based on right. where science has evolved. And that's I think that's so fascinating because I have never thought about it in that light, and I think that mm-hmm. is so interesting and beautiful because it's it's true it's i mean science fiction can only be what people can presently know about science as far as it goes to right. be able to expand that further because right that's uh, 
my mind's already blown. <laughs> I know. At that point, I'm like, do I even know what science fiction is, bro? <laughs> <laughs> well, so one of my one of my thought questions for you guys to kind of mull over after that little um, okay bit of information is: do This you segment th- was going to be a light a candle, and we've canceled that. We've moved on to Emerald's <laughs> Emerald's, uh, Emerald's virtual TED classroom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my question for you guys is: Do you think there will be a point in the future where we are so advanced that sci-fi won't be a relevant genre anymore? And you don't have to answer now, but think about that based on what we've just talked about. Fuck. I'm gonna. I can answer right now. I'd say absolutely not, because I think that yeah. you think about just like what people can imagine and like base off of their own even just paranoia about where technology mm-hmm. goes now. Like when you think about. Um, Shoot, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the show. It's the Netflix show. It's all about uh, where technology is going. Is it the John Ham is in it on the, the oh, Christmas Black special? Mirror. Thank you. <laughs> because like stuff like that, like a lot of that show seems like it's playing on like people's paranoia of where technology is going to go. Um, yep. You know, like a lot of like the eye lenses and stuff like that. So I think that people can always push their imagination further the further that technology is going and that science is going to take us and stuff so i think it's always just going to get probably just more advanced and more terrifying (laughs) yeah because i I mean (laughs) i think like even if you look at um like movies about like ai like her and stuff Mm -hmm. the the, when we get closer to having ai that is actual AI that we see in movies now, when we get closer to that point, it's like, okay, well, what are we going to imagine that's going to make that more terrifying? Yeah. And I, yeah, I guess I, mean, I think of sci-fi a lot and when I think of like horror aspects of stuff, because a lot of it seems so frightening to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, a lot of sci-fi does come down to horror because that's the idea of, of sci-fi is it's speculative and a lot of people are afraid of the future. And so right. that's just an easy one to go with, I think. So if you guys are ready, we can start my, um, I've dubbed it the spotty timeline of sci-fi history. Oh, are we going to, are we going to light a candle? We're just going to, we're just going to skip right on past that. Maybe we can do that later. Let's do that. Maybe last. We can do it later. Yeah. Yeah, Well, let me, let me give you guys some, some mental things to chew on. And then I'm sure you'll have a lot of optimistic things. You don't have to dump. We can go one by one too. I want to dump on you guys. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) All right, so get your pens and papers ready. Uh, we're going to start in the 1800s um, with the... Uh, so, of course, we, we talked about ancient world sci-fi, and I think you know we can all agree that sci-fi has kind of been evolving forever, right? Through different, through different um, really, like, lenses. Okay. And uh, sci-fi and fantasy, especially where we're starting, were, like, very, very much the same. Um, I think uh, they didn't really start to diverge, in my opinion, until like the late 18th and early 19th century, when magic and science went like this and really separated. And that was partly because of science and scientific discoveries. Magic was kind of what they thought science was, but then as you start to define it, magic becomes less magic and it's more science. Well, if you look at like ancient well not ancient but a couple hundred years ago science was regarded as magic right like electricity yeah, was yeah, like right magic so you i still know. regard science as magic it's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you can't really separate the two really until you get into the 19th and 20th century in my opinion mm-hmm. sure. so we're gonna start um with the uh you know well regarded as the first sci-fi novel which is mary shelley's frankenstein Oh. Which came out in 1818. Um, I've read that book. 
I actually just reread it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think this is where (laughs) we start to see um, a lot of our present day sci-fi themes really take off. The idea of um, this like uh, archetype of the monster um, and mm-hmm. Frankenstein being a, a legit monster <laughs> and yeah. more, more present sci-fi being robots or AI or something. Um, but I think that is where you see the first, um, like, you know, present day sci-fi plot line come out is Frankenstein. Sure. Um, and then we have Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know if you've read. Ugh. Yeah. Mm, One of yes. my faves. Um, I think, uh, you know, back here, sci-fi was, you know, wasn't a standalone genre yet. It was really mashed together with other genres, namely horror and fantasy. Um, And then after Jekyll and Hyde, we get Vernon Wells, H.G. Wells. Um, They start becoming the next large contributors to sci-fi. The idea of sentient machines is going to blow your mind how old this idea is. (laughs) Originated (laughs) in in Erewhon by Samuel Butler in 1872. Oh, wow. Yeah, so sentient machines before even World War I. That's wild. It's a pretty old idea. Like you said, Brent, people can imagine a lot of things. Right. And it's, I think that's so fascinating. Another thing I want to, I want to mention is cause I said, you know, that I don't really know much about like classic sci-fi. This makes me feel so much better. Cause you're mentioning, I mean, right off the bat, Jekyll and Hyde and Frankenstein, like that's, those two things are things I'm so familiar with, but since my close minded, dumb brain never thought about <laughs> it in that light, it's so, I don't know. It's so, uh, it's so refreshing. This is delightful. I could, you can just talk the rest of the time and I'll just listen. This <laughs> we'll is shut wonderful. up. We'll just listen. Well, I think, I think part of my whole thing here is opening up what we define as sci-fi. It's not, I love it. you know, our harsh definition yeah. that we have really. Um, and so next is my personal favorite, Mr. Edgar Allan Poe, um, mm. who's often lumped in with sci-fi, although his work is most commonly considered gothic and horror. Um, But a lot of his stories include sci-fi elements um, or speculation about sci-fi elements. Like the Telltale Heart is horror, but, you know, you have this theme about this thing being like a clock, but it's a heart. And it's like, you know, his work is terrifying. And I think his his, um, work specifically laid kind of an atmospheric foundation for sci-fi horror. Um, Yeah, sure. He really kicked Mm -hmm. off this idea of things we don't know being just terrifying. And painting, like, a world around it for a story. Sure. Or, like, off the top of my head, I could totally see, like, A Clockwork Orange being inspired by him or... Yeah, so... Um, yeah, like, the, like, Alien or something. Yeah. He, yeah, so he really laid a base work for, you know, those those present-day sci-fi horror works. Um, sure. One most... Uh, his most notable callback in uh, modern literature is Usher 2, which is based off of his House of Usher. I don't know if you've read it, but basically it's this awful gothic haunted house (laughs) it's terrifying it's horrible it's you know this horseman finds this house and it's haunted and it's terrifying um and bojack uh, horseman (laughs) yeah exactly um but ray bradbury in um the martian chronicles uh which i'm not sure if you're familiar with um you know it's all about colonizing mars and this one freak decides to build the House of Usher on Mars. And the short story by Ray Bradbury, you know, people come into this house and it's like a theme park and it ends up being legit and it kills everyone. And it's like this Sweet. this 20th century homage to Edgar Allan Poe and the House that of Usher. Delightful. 
It's, yeah. yeah, a lot of his stuff is gory, and I think a lot of the callbacks, you know, coming after him are equally gory, which is excellent. <laughs> and then um, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, kind of uh, was at the tail end of the 19th century, and then we get to, oh, the 20th century, which is where, you know, what we know of as sci-fi really began. Um, in the beginning, sort of modern sci-fi yeah. was mainly uh, showing up in magazines, um, although there were some silent films. Uh, the first Frankenstein film adaptation was a silent film in 1910. Uh, the first film categorized as sci-fi. I, I think I can guess. Uh, it's the one where they fly to the moon. Yeah. So the first, I didn't Nailed know this it. actually. The first film categorized as sci-fi was Le Voyage dans la Lune in 1902. Yeah. Which yep. told the story of a spacecraft being launched to the moon in a large cannon. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I've seen that one. It's fun. Um, and then Dr. Jekyll and Hyde adaptation came out in 1913. Um, and then Fucking, why do they have to adapt everything? It's so unoriginal. <laughs> <laughs> you got to light a candle, bro. <laughs> um, and then, you know, World War One, of course, and the World Wars and, and the Great Depression and stuff that come af- came after that, uh, current events-wise and politically, really started this idea of sci-fi becoming a reaction to current events and a way to uh, criticize controversial topics through film and literature, but not directly. Do you think that the War of the Worlds is like a reaction to like World War II? I think, yeah, I think a lot of sci-fi that came out of the 20th century, you know, started this whole thing like Black Mirror is today, of Mm -hmm, using sci-fi as an indirect way to say, hey, guys, be careful. What the heck? Well, if you think about it, yeah, it's like right off the top of my head, the War of the Worlds sounds like, you know, Nazis coming at you, just obliterating your way of life kind of thing, and there's just Mm -hmm. no way to stop them. And that, yeah, Yeah. okay. But also Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of the, you know, fantasy stuff that comes out of it as well. Yeah, and I think if you look, um, like, on a parallel, philosophy of the 20th century also got picked up a lot in sci-fi, you know, like uh, Nietzsche and um, The God is Dead, you know, quote, like, there's a, a, you know, sci-fi really picked up starting, starting then, and there was so much to feed on, really, and portray. Um, and the concept of sentient machines and dystopian realities became much more heavily included after the World Wars and the Great Depression, um, you know. And then we start seeing some of the literature greats, like my favorite, Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut, which were huge contributors. L. Ron sure. Hubbard, um, of yep. course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, the legend. <laughs> um, he did some he, other stuff, but... He actually contributed huge amounts of sci-fi short stories. Um, uh, yeah, he he wrote a a massive amount of of content. Are there any other like sci-fi stories that turn into a religion that you can like think of off the top of your head? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. No, okay. <laughs> That's clickbait. I don't know. There's like some speculative fiction that was what was it like thousand two thousand years ago. <laughs> Um, Well, I mean, brutal. Sorry. Going forward, trying not to avoid the political (laughs) traps here. Yeah, Um, let's (laughs) let's sidestep that. George Orwell, Orson Welles, H.B. Lovecraft. Um, You guys, if you have any other your favorites, this is when you know (laughs) sci-fi literature. (laughs) Insert insert uh, Anthony and Brent's commentary here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really took Uh, off. Right. Yeah, and that's where. Well, I think, and then we start getting sort of modern takes. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. when you know, science post, started taking over. And post World War II, you of course have the Nazi portrayal 
done over and over and over and over again, right? I mean, like, yeah. what was it? I mean, Star Wars has parallels, like, very clear parallels. It's just, you know, the concept has been redone and redone and redone. The 20th century really had just, like... <laughs> All these frameworks, if you want to say, for sci-fi mm-hmm. writers and creators to just color in the lines. Yeah, well, and I'll stick one in here. For instance, there's Forbidden Planet in 1956. Uh, it was actually, speaking of which, it's an adaptation of The Tempest. And it's about going to another planet. Uh, it's very spa- It's at Leslie Nielsen in a dramatic role, by the way. Um, and uh, like a monster attacks them and it's like really like this the special effects are actually really good um, but it's it's the Tempest which is if you think about it kind of speculative fiction back in the day um, than an adaptation which is more of a modern sci-fi take and I watched that as a kid and I loved it um, and that was one of the original ones that got me into sci-fi even though it was so old but I was a child and at that point you can watch anything and it's awesome I think you, you bring up my, my next great point, which, um, you know, the, the second half of the 20th century really put some fuel on the fire in the sci-fi mm-hmm. world with the rise of special effects in sci-fi yep. films. Yep. Um, so I my question for you guys is, what are your favorite special effects in Ooh. sci-fi films? I think oh my, my first ones as a kid, I saw the original Tron. And I mean, you know, those special I effects. I had that on my list too. Yeah, are not regarded as like cutting edge or fantastic. But I well, think. They were for its time. Right. I think, you know, watching that as a kid and seeing what people could do without, you know, mass digitization of yeah. using CGI was just so cool. Yeah. I, I'm well, I think there's a. Say, oh. Go ahead. No, well, please. okay. Um, <laughs> I don't I was. Because Jurassic Park has to fall into. To line for that because the, yes. the like the t-rex all this stuff from the original movie that was just like so mind-blowingly wonderful because it's that that mix of puppetry and yep. cg uh it's iconic to me we I, we've already talked about it but i just want to back that up that was my first thought too is just i think it was perfect period wow, <laughs> wow. thought over <laughs> I think Star Wars also, you know, used the the, the dolls and the um, the molds really, yes. and I think yes, bringing bringing art like that into to film, I think really just poured you know fuel on the sci-fi flames, and then you mm-hmm. know the imagination just explodes. And I think that's where you start to see the rise of spin-off genres, starting in kind of the 1980s, where you know sci- cyberpunk and sci-fi noir. Mm really start to become like a thing and like a you know separate genres in themselves sure before we move into that because i have an entire list of things that you know i love um i think we should stop and talk about the people who are giving us money let's go (laughs) to uh uh the sponsorship zone Are you sleepy? Do you hate yourself in the morning? And everyone else? So much. Me too. Caffeine. (laughs) Shove it down your throat. Shove it in your veins. Get it in your body any way you can. (laughs) Caffeine. It'll change your life and make you more tolerable for those awful, awful people. Should I inject it into my veins? Absolutely. Shove it up your butt? Mm. In pill form. In powder form. It comes in many forms. You can snort it, you can hoard it, just don't abort it. Um, this, this all sounds illegal, Brent. Nope, it's caffeine, totally legal. No way. Unless you're Mormon. <laughs> well, I, 
they I'll, they might they might allow it now too. I, I know that rules change. So uh, not brought <laughs> so to you by Mormon, the LDS Church. So if you're Mormon, go ahead Church. and try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Are you sad? Yes. <laughs> well, I have the product for you. Have you ever read the story, the UFO question by Kurt Vonnegut? Well, now coming soon to shelves near you in Walmart only is uh, the UFO <laughs> machine. Turn it on and it'll make you happy. Is it <laughs> so it just you just turn it on and it just makes you happy? Yeah, it's like a radio. It's like a radio wave frequency that just makes you happy. You guys really need to read more sci-fi stuff. Is there no <laughs> downside to this? Um, well, the only downside, as per um, the story, is that you won't get as anything As per the done. actual product that is a real thing that's on shelves now? <laughs> you won't get anything done, and um, you could become addicted to it, and the end. Oh, so like... So caffeine. Cigarettes and alcohol? <laughs> yeah, it's like drugs, but it's a radio wave. Oh, I'm so into that. <laughs> is it a subscription or do I just buy it? <laughs> subscription. Well, it's not patented, so right now it's just free. I say we Wow, this sounds impossible. And they're giving us money to shill it? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Why do you think we're all so giggly? She's right. I'm going to drink some caffeine and inject a brain wave or a radio wave into my brain. <laughs> inject a brain wave. <laughs> inject a brain wave. Inject it. <laughs> Inject it. That's a great. I feel like that should be just the slogan for most things. Inject it. Inject it. Uh, so now for our more serious sponsor this week, once again, brought to you by Mental Health, maybe Mental Awareness, whatever you want to call it. Make your mind healthy. Um, seriously, guys, if you are struggling with depression, if you're sad and you don't know why, um, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out Text to somebody. Anthony. Text in. Number yeah. is seven two zero. Whoa! Bleep bleep bleep. Yeah, I'll, I'll add a bunch of bleeps there. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, reach out to us. Um, we've got our email, which is poptimisticpod at gmail um, You can reach out to us on Twitter if you need someone to talk to and you just don't know who to talk to. It's it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to admit that you need help from someone. Um, normalize that and not just for I mean mental health in general just if you need a little bit of help you can always ask it's not a weakness in fact uh, as I've found throughout my life it's actually you are weak for not asking for help because you can have you can have that the power to do stuff with other people it's it's not that it's it's not the easy way out in fact it's hard and that's why it it's weaker to just not do it so um, go ahead and ask for help it's okay or write a sci-fi novel yeah, yeah. Right. religion most, with a sci-fi like novel. Most depressed people did in the yeah. past few centuries. And and on a good note with that, do anything that gets your creative juices flowing, that gets you outside of your normal routine, doing the same thing over and over. Especially with COVID and staying in and everything, there's you're dealing with a lot more of the same over and over. And I know that can be monotonous and terrifying for people. So to do something to get yourself outside of that norm to where you can find a happy place. Cause you don't have to be sad all the time. Yeah. And also with the winter months coming up, um, just make sure you get a little bit of vitamin D every once in a while. Absolutely. It's a, it's a big thing. This week's, this week's uh, Poptimistic is brought to you by vitamin D. Vitamin D. Inject it. Inject vitamin it. Vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> 
First of all, of course, I want to hear your um, your favorite highlights in sci-fi. Mine would be um, <clears throat> the You Feel question by Kurt Vonnegut, which is a short story that deals with the um, basic idea of utopia and why it's doomed to fail. Uh, and uh, Interesting. That sounds like a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we talked about before, Usher 2, which is um, uh-huh. a short story that's in the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Very epic. Um, another I, I feel... I feel really dumb because I just have like a list of movies. That's I'm okay. just such a movie I'm getting boy. there. I'm getting there. Yeah, you like, are. I'm waiting for your one. <laughs> um, your and one. then very famous one uh, short story, There Will Come Soft Rains, which is also in the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, Blade Runner, of course, is my sure. um, yeah. ultimate number one favorite sci-fi movie of all time ever. The original, of course. Um do you like our owl? <laughs> Artificial? Yes. Um, this is now an ASMR channel. <laughs> Altered Carbon, which came out on Netflix, which I uh, did not get enough credit for being as awesome yes. as it was. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm, preach. All right. Anthony, your list of <laughs> movies. Go. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I have a lot to go on, but my number one movie, not just sci-fi of all time, is Aliens, the sequel. Um, I think that it uh, reinvented not only uh, the franchise itself, but also like sequels and how they should be handled. Um, and in that in that vein, James Cameron. I mean, I think that he was a pioneer in like we're talking about uh, special effects. For instance, The Abyss. Uh, it was one, I think The Abyss may have been the first. I, I this is gonna. I'm, I'm if I'm wrong, somebody's gonna tweet me. But I. I think it's the first CGI, and it was the uh, water monster thing, uh, the water snake. Um, but that was, uh, I mean, James Cameron, obviously. Oh, oh and, that, and that movie is also absolutely going to influence the Avatar sequels because they're underwater. Um, so that's interesting. I have not but, seen the original Avatar. Oh, see it. See it in 3D. I saw it three Ooh. times. Actually, yes. It is. The, it, it's the only movie ever made where the 3D... Uh, helps it actually builds the world around it. only it's, movie it's... ever made uh so there's <laughs> a thing that they played at disney world that was michael jackson gosh what was oh. it called like captain evo <laughs> or something like that and it was a hot nightmare but it was 3d you know what there was also a terminator <laughs> 3d stage show that was probably the best terminator product ever made um no, so uh, I have, uh, let's see, Alien, obviously. I think that it invented the modern slasher. Um, uh, nobody going to jump in there? All right, that's fine. Uh, Alien sucks. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually don't like Alien. I'm an Aliens boy, and I, there's, there's definitely a big... Plural only for Anthony. Mm-hmm. Plural only. Add an S or I don't want it. None of this uh, single stuff here. <laughs> I, 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 you got me onto a Clockwork Orange. Um, which I thought was oh, interesting nice. because it's it is technically sci-fi, um, and then I do want to mention I don't like it, but I I think that is a shining achievement in sci-fi was a 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, I will say it is beautifully shot. Uh, I think that Stanley Kubrick is up his own ass, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> wow, he was a pioneer. Ooh, I do want to <laughs> shout out the thing, uh, the thing, 1982. <gasps> yeah. Speaking of practical effects and claymation. I love the thing so much. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, I think that 
the 70s and 80s were an amazing time (laughs) in sort of movies. I mean, like, we think there's Star Wars in there, which is blending the fantasy and the sci-fi. Like, uh, Yeah, I think that I had a point, the note that I didn't mm -hmm. quite get to, but sci-fi, you know, Star Wars is, like, the best example of why sci-fi and fantasy aren't truly separate genres. Mm, Absolutely. Like, I'm on the camp where I think it's fantasy, but when you think about it in terms of uh, that historical lens, I'm like, okay, I see why. I see why it's, I mean, I understand. Yeah, sure, there's like robots and stuff, but it's, to me, it's it a, is lean towards f- fantasy, but fantasy I get it. Fantasy plot line with sci fi concepts. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, so obviously Star Wars. We don't really have to get into that because that's just such you a big subject. We could do a whole episode on Star Wars. We already kind of we could, did a lot of Star honestly, Wars. Honestly, I feel like Star Wars, you could do a whole episode on the original trilogy. A whole yep. episode on the prequels, a whole yep. episode on the sequels, and then a whole episode on all the little in-between movies like Rogue One and Solo, yep. and like sure. I, and now the series Mandalorian, the which we need to watch oh. the new episode. The oh, absolutely, fiction. yeah. <laughs> not so even in, the fan not just fan fiction, <laughs> not just fan fiction, but the expanded universe, all of which was wiped from canon and then slowly being brought back in as they are cherry picking. I could do I a whole Star episode. Wars- about the uh, the D and D campaign I ran that was Star we Wars. We are we are going to do that. Is this going to be a running joke where we say? We're yeah, gonna we are, we're going to always talk about it and never actually do it. I think the Star Wars like movies really kicked off the idea of sci fi fandoms and like camps. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. like it was the first big like people felt so strongly that they would. <laughs> Yeah. swear themselves to Star Wars well, over, was, say, Lord of the Rings. Yep. It was a global phenomenon. I mean, like, say, Tron came out beforehand, and it was just, like, everybody thought it was groundbreaking, everyone loved it, but it was, like, Star Wars was the phenomenon. It really was global, generational, just, it really exploded. So I, I think that's why we have to keep coming back to it. Yep. Blade Runner kind of flunked somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> it was not the hit that they wanted it to be. That's for sure. It's got a cult following now, and it's my OG. That's all that matters. Um, I, and this is going to be a divisive statement, enjoy Blade Runner 2049 more than I do the original. Uh, I have not seen the new one, but I have only heard good things, so. It's really visually stunning, and the soundtrack is very good. That mm-hmm. see those two things combined right there is enough for me to fall hard for a movie. Yeah, well, I, I think so the story's better in the second one. My, I you know I have a hard time with Deckard being a replicant. I know those there's those two uh, big. They never answer that. They they don't, but they they hint way more towards it in 2049 than they do in the original. In my opinion, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the whole premise of 2049 is kind of going off of their assumption that he is. And uh, I personally, after you know, reading um, do Android stream, I got this. Wait, 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 and wait, wait. Seeing the movie, I'm stopping I... you right there. <laughs> I got the exact opposite takeaway from 2049. I got the exact opposite takeaway that he was human. Well, no, because the whole idea is that they had like androids procreated for the first time. No, but it was Android. No, One. it was it was androids. And I think, and they. Is, we they should not don't... discuss this until Brent's seen it, because it's going to just be a ton of spoilers. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I don't mind spoilers. Literally, my wife will spoil any movie we're watching if she's seen it. She loves to spoil <laughs> movies, so it doesn't Emerald matter. Emerald sounds like someone I know. <laughs> it's a girlfriend thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Although, uh, that's a wife thing, apparently. 
Well, that's on you, bro. <laughs> oh! <laughs> um, so... There could okay, be a whole yeah. podcast on that and that debate. Brent, your homework now is to watch Blade Runner 2049. Have you then... read Have you read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I know. Read oh, read yeah, that. Okay. It's a quick read. Read okay. that one. It's it's Wait, what's what it called? the Blade Runner movie is based off of. Do oh, Androids okay. Dream of Electric Sheep? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Philip K. Dick was was one of my number one authors for years. PKD is, is. is a teen. Mm-hmm. I read probably a quarter to a half of his stuff because he has he's like he's so prolific. It's 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 a lot. Like if you if you get a, a definitive edition, it's like all of his short stories. It's a fat fat book. Yeah, uh, and I don't, and they none of them have. And all then of them, he, wrote he wrote novels. So I had so and he you wrote know novels. this is kind of an unpopular opinion coming from someone who's talking classic sci-fi, but for me, Philip K. Dick is is tough to read. I think oh, really? his his like you know the whole idea that he was schizophrenic is mm-hmm. very clear in a lot of his writing, and it's tough to follow. And I think he definitely had some greatest hits, and a lot of the stuff is a lot more muddled. Which is like the the prolific aspect. He was incredibly prolific. He wrote so much. Yeah. But for me personally, I'm trying. I'm still trying to chug through one of his short story collections, and a lot of it is just so hard to follow. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I remember a couple. Of, like once you st- especially start getting into the short stories, he dumps you into a world that is fully realized in his own brain, but he doesn't put it into the short story so Mm -hmm. you just like he just names things for instance there's one and i'm gonna get this completely wrong because i think i i couldn't read all of it because i didn't couldn't understand it but it was like people with wings and somebody was going to become like was going to the jury and but like all of this was supremely fantastical and you're supposed to think of it as like fantasy but i couldn't at all and there's another one where like there are these like mecha raccoons like eating somebody's trash and he's scared of them and but it like none of it's like really well defined in terms of the actual writing it's it's really tough to get through sometimes but it's some just look up his best novels those are really well done okay. um, especially the ones that are all made into movies are all obviously has a good story right. and a good twist and like in whatever. in my opinion he is easily one of the most imaginative writers that's ever lived absolutely wow. just I mean, <laughs> things you can't possibly even begin to come up with on your own. He's written 10 short stories about it. He was a schizophrenic uh, hippie who lived on a commune and did drugs constantly for mm. 30 years. He was So we, we say schizophrenic, but just since we're talking about mental health, he never had a diagnosis. It's all speculation. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And well, he It sounds like I've got some reading to do. He yes, do it, do. dude. He's he's so good. Just look up the best of his though, and just really go down. Start with Do of. Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. That's a okay. good place to start, and cool. I think that's a great example of what kind of mood his writing is in. What vein? Because mm. I mean, <laughs> the book's only like this big, but I think it's you know about two hundred pages almost. Um, okay. And it takes place in one day, in twenty four hours. Yeah. And oh, it's interesting. The entire Ooh. Blade Runner plotline. But it's in 24 hours in the book. It's just, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's really good. And there's a lot of other characters and themes that the movie doesn't even touch on. And it's so. it's very different from the from the movie, so you're not spoiled by watching the, the plot movie. Line, yeah, yeah, the plot line is basically the same. But um, the I think his, his, what he's saying in the book is completely separate than what the, the movie is saying. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Can't wait. Yeah. I want to hear. So we heard Anthony's, you know, 
top oh yeah list. what about you brent so anthony had some of the same ones i did so i'll skip over some of those but um it's funny because i didn't even be almost the same age oh pretty close pretty darn close um i didn't even think about adding this onto my list until i mentioned it earlier but black mirror has to be on my list of yep. sci-fi stuff because yep. i i now want to rewatch it except for the the pig fucking episode i don't want to watch that one again <laughs> no, it's, um, I mean, and, uh, he's come out and said that that shouldn't have been the first episode yeah <laughs> that was a shocking thing to get into i was like well i hope they don't have this in every episode but um <laughs> yeah. yeah glad that wasn't a running theme um some of the other stuff that i have loved throughout the years firefly and serenity both the show and the oh, movie yes oh yeah love them um fifth mm-hmm. element is one that i could watch over <laughs> oh, and over yes. again and it's like so <laughs> it's like so goofy and out there and wonderful yeah and i had a huge crush on that chick when i was a kid obviously of course um mila yeah yeah um and then i'm gonna say mass effect the, uh the fifth element is actually childhood lust oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> Um, Mass Effect. I don't know if you guys played Mass Effect. Mass yeah. Effect One and yeah, yeah, Two yeah. are probably the ones I. That's an interesting thing because you're you're changing it into video games. You're, oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I was I was surprised no one mentioned a video game because there's a lot. Of I'm good not a sci-fi big gamer, so I would not know a lot about it. That's but fair. I, I, That's fair. I know video games is an excellent uh, place to put sci-fi. Yeah, it's, I was trying to keep it to classic stuff, so beyond like 1990. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm not good at that. We can do a part two. <laughs> just, just literally have a laundry list of things that we enjoy. You should publish like our our um, combined like top sci-fi things for people to check out if they haven't heard. Oh, that'd be interesting. Oh yeah, we should post that on the the Twitter. Are you guys ready for some fun questions to answer? I am. Oh yeah, let's do. It. So we're we're approaching sort of the end. So let's do sort of a lightning round. Okay, lightning so um, let's see. I don't know. Maybe you guys can like each get a minute to like <laughs> answer them they're they're like do we get it do we get a trump debate minute or do we, or is it <laughs> yeah you can have a trump debate minute like i mean these are conversation starter questions so they've got long answers but i'd love to hear your quick takes okay oh boy. okay how do you define sci-fi yourself anthony why don't you start uh it's fiction and it's science brent <laughs> uh, so i would say before this i had a very narrow definition of sci-fi it's really Honestly, more had to do with space, yeah, robots, um, aliens, stuff like that. Like very, like I said, very narrow. I I think honestly, if it didn't have like futuristic and space involved, I probably would not yeah. consider it sci-fi. But now, I would say anything that touches on the base of science at all, with an expansion of what is in the unknown. So like you know, mm-hmm. like we were talking about Frankenstein or Jekyll and Hyde. Like that's. It's such a. Uh, I feel awakened. I feel like a new, yeah. a new science fiction being at this point. So, sure. you are you are my L. Ron Hubbard. Aww, uh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I want to chime in and just say I want to call out two things. Uh, one, The Matrix, and two, oh. uh, the series The Expanse. I've read the books, but I've heard that the TV show is very good. The books are absolutely incredible, very realistic. Uh, just an, a phenomenal take on uh on sort of near future space and it also scratches the game of thrones itch because mm, uh yeah. it's just like very there's factions there's different you know it's just really cool very political too okay you ready i really want to get through these because i had a lot of fun writing them so great um uh let's go first with brent what book or movie first got you interested in the genre oh uh it was a uh, c.s lewis 
uh, book oh, nice. from way back in the day that I don't Which remember the, the wardrobe. Title of, no, you know, um, no, it's it had to do with space. Um, oh, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna find it, Anthony. You answer the question. Okay, uh, the Matrix, unquestionably. It's what got me into filmmaking. It's what got me into philosophy. It's what got me into a lot of things. And when that movie came out, it was a revelation to me. Uh, I literally wrote, I found a way to write all my papers in school about it because I was realizing <laughs> just how deep it was and um, how many metaphors. And you can really take science fiction and and do philosophy with it. And they were like even talking about how nobody's cracked what it all really means. And like the machines are spirit and the humans are the soul and the whatever. And it just all comes together. Yeah. I think part of what uh, makes sci-fi so special to me is it's such a personal genre. Like it really plays on what we each are afraid of or what we each want to see in the world. And like, that's kind of what sucks people in, I think. Yep. Out of the the silent planet. Oh, I haven't seen that one. It's a, it's a space trilogy he did. And I only remember I I was, I read a lot of C.S. Lewis when I was younger and that was Lewis. I think most people don't know is actually was more of a philosopher than he was an author. Mm-hmm. He had some um, neat books. Okay, you ready for the next one? <laughs> oh yeah. This is this yeah. is a fun one. What sci-fi concept or theme has blown your mind or made you rethink something? Uh, that we're in a simulation, The Matrix. <laughs> and also, they actually say that there's a very they being scientists say there's a very good chance that that is yeah. exactly what we're living in. <laughs> what about you, Brent? That was terrifying. Well, it, was, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't that, but now it's that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think Android stuff in general is what freaks me out the most and feels so relatable. And like, I'm with you. I feel like one day we're like, because uh, the androids in in Aliens and stuff like that. Like, I'm I'm terrified that I'm going to meet someone one day and not know if they are human or if they are an android. Yeah, I think that's the best, the like greatest hits of Android sci-fi is all about like what makes us human. I yeah. think that's probably my favorite sci-fi concept is like what makes us human, really. It's, like <laughs> it's interesting. All right, I think we'll and I think that was uh, sorry uh, the um, Raised by Wolves. I think had a lot yeah. of interesting oh, yes. stuff so that good. went along with that. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna get political for one second and oh, say no. that along those same lines, Mitch McConnell is a lizard in human skin. The lizard, um, yes, of course. But I do want to say uh, along those same line, uh, what brought me up is uh, the Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Uh, scares the heck out of me. Just like waking up and not being yourself and being a monster is terrifying. Because also, like, what if you're already a monster and you just don't know it? So that's I'm a great point for my next my next question is I think a Ooh. lot of the sci-fi themes and concepts are based off of our fears and things that people yes. think are wrong with the world and critiques of society specifically. So my next question is a, a yes or no, and you can go into it quickly if you want to, but it's a big question. <laughs> Do you think sci-fi could exist in a utopian society? Why are I not? Why not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think I, I think I'm a no because I think part of what makes sci-fi sci-fi is the problems, and I think if we didn't have any problems, it would be hard to make sci-fi really gritty and awesome. At least the way that I think of it. But I mean, a utopia. Here's the thing about humans: is we're we're fallible, and I don't think there's such a thing really as a utopia because if even if you get to a utopia, you have to keep it going, and to do that, you have to worry about things. You have it's to the, see the things matrix coming. problem, right? They made the first yeah. simulation perfect, and the humans right. wouldn't accept it. Yeah. Um, okay. Last one. Um, this is a good ending one. What do you think sci-fi's greatest lesson to humanity is? 
Uh, don't tamper with things, you dumbasses. Stop <laughs> it. Dinosaurs don't need to come back. Eat all our children. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with dinosaurs. Like, we love them, but they will kill us. I, I think it's like t- it's tampering with genetics and like things we don't need to tamper with in general. Because it's like, yeah, I don't know. Nature has done, a, playing God, nature's right? done a pretty good job. So yeah. let's just let that continue and stop trying to be like, well, I want to, I want to pet a dinosaur, and so I'm gonna <laughs> do that. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bring one thing up, which is uh, started to actually be uh, a problem now. Basically, deep fakes, like what is real and yeah. what is not real, is is gonna be a real issue and kind of already has been. And that's something that was brought up. Like you can just uh, in I I can't name something off the top of my head, but it's like. It, if you don't know what's real and what's not real going forward, the misinformation is going to be absolutely insane, uh, more so than it already has been, and that scares the living daylight. Your guys' answers are so, like, left field, and mine was just, like, hold on to what makes us human. I like that. I, like, I like that, too. <laughs> you guys are talking about dinosaurs. Yeah, it's very and I'm optimistic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have for you, bros. I'm glad I could Yo, expand your That was phenomenal. I, I did not expect... World to expand my brain so much today and i feel i kind of wish we had two hour episodes i know i feel to, like, smarter really i feel much oh, smarter. i could have really gotten into it i would have bored you we'll have you death. back on we'll do another sci-fi yeah heck yeah well there's so much to touch on sci-fi there's so much we only really thing. just like shave the top well and i have homework I mean, so yeah. i need to once i read <laughs> some more of this stuff and we'll do a blade runner uh Ooh. comparison oh yeah I, you I'd guys got to gotta have that. me on for that because I have so much to say about Blade Runner. I would like to say that the first one is uh, good. Whatever, Anthony. Just stop I'll just there. say that. Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Let's circle back around and try to light a candle on sci-fi reboots and sequels. So we have already done the Matrix sequels. Uh, I think this is more about the idea of reboots and sequels. Um Obviously, if you you uh, sci-fi thrives on originality, Emerald said that earlier. Uh, I think, for me, sci-fi reboots and sequels just mean a chance to update, refine, or even introduce a new idea. Um, so, for instance, uh, I'm really excited for Dune because I. I actually haven't watched the original and that's maybe why I'm excited for it. But I think that I'm going to, if I watch the original Dune now, I don't think I'll be as immersed if I, as if I watch the new one, just because I ha- I am a creature who has lived 30 years after the original one. Uh, it's like watching the original Tron now, not being able to be so immersed in like love. Maybe I can love it in a certain way, but I think that uh, we do need to update things with the times. Like for instance, I mean, Forbidden Planet was 1956. It was technically an adaptation of Shakespeare. So it brought Shakespeare to a new generation. I think that there can be good reboots, adaptations, sequels. I think that we should keep building on things we love, not just stopping and saying, no, fuck you. We need to move on. I think um, that's, I think I agree with a lot of that. And I think my my take is that, uh, you know, kind of what my whole point about talking to you guys about this stuff was that sci-fi is not the closed-minded genre that, you know, people kind of force it into today. I mean, the whole point of Mm -hmm. sci-fi is imagination and taking concepts that are scary and making them, you know, visual and uh, digestible, kind of, you know, like taking these 
giant scary concepts and putting them into like little bite-sized morsels that we can handle and I think reboots and adaptations are um you know it's all contextual and I think we have to kind of respect it all um in the time frame and the people that it came from and I think we have to just like step back and enjoy and enjoy them and have fun if we didn't have adaptations and sequels and reboots, we wouldn't have Minority Report, yep. which was a Philip K. Dick movie, yep. or sorry, book. Uh, we wouldn't have Blade Runner, which was a Philip K. Dick. I'm like, I'm just going to go down to the Philip K. Dick. We don't. We wouldn't have Adjustment <laughs> Bureau. We wouldn't have <laughs> The Knowing or whatever it was with Nicolas Cage. I never watched that one. Um, uh, I, I think that it just brings it to new audiences. And here's the cool thing about new stuff is you don't have to watch it. Like, uh, we, everybody you know, yells about reboots, sequels, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, cool. I mean, don't watch it. Hey, that's, it's for the that's, people that want yeah, it. Yeah, that's one of my biggest things when people are like, well, I solo sucks and this and that. So it's like, yeah, okay, cool. You didn't like it. You don't have to watch it. I'm going to watch it again yeah. and again because I think it's like a neat little a neat little story of Han Solo. But it's like, yeah, everyone's got their own thing. Like, if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. But if you do want to yeah. watch it, then watch it. I think Anthony brings up another great point. I think sci-fi is really important. And I think it's a way that we get really important, like critical thinking and philosophical arguments yep. to the general population. And yep. I think we have to leave room for those, you know, <laughs> adaptations that we think are, are lesser than um, to just be out there because someone somewhere is going to see that and suddenly be faced with these concepts that maybe they haven't thought of before. And I think that's all very important stuff. <laughs> Yeah, for instance, Minority Report, uh, it does talk about, you know, the future, which we can never see. But what it really means is, like, big data. Like, should the police use big data to see things coming? There's already algorithms that... Okay, for instance, actually, California just had a proposition where they had uh, bail bonds, but they used... They got rid of bail bonds, but it was uh, using an algorithm to... Uh, calculate someone's like flight risk and it was gonna be racist it was gonna be like oh if you are black or whatever it could be that you are a greater flight risk and we're not gonna give you basically bond um, so things like that just like big data coming at you and that was like talked about in a movie before big data really kind of came around right. to predict what you're gonna do and that's you know brought to a general audience where you know a farmer out in the middle of kansas is talking about what is basically big data at some point you know like yeah. so i love that these concepts become stories that you become invested in and then you you fall in love with the concept and then you start talking about the danger and the danger is very real or like not even just danger but it's just the concepts you know so it brings it down to the everyday person yeah i agree oh gosh that was uh, such a good discussion, guys. Um, do we have any uh, closing remarks? Emerald, do you want to sum up your thoughts? Uh, well, this has been fun, and I'm so pleased that I could expand Brent's definition of sci-fi <laughs> with my little <laughs> historical take. Um, and I think uh, my, my Sparknotes version and my um, closing thought is that it's important to keep an open mind and sci-fi, in my most basic definition, is a fun way to bring philosophical debates to a fun and enjoyable way to digest her. Absolutely. Hey. Brent, any final last words? Um, 
just like be nice to each other guys just you know that's it be nice to each other uh well that you've heard it here first folks be nice to each other uh everyone have a good rest of your week thanks for tuning in and oh yeah wait that's kind of like a big announcement this is we just switched to weekly We've been doing bi-weekly. Did we? Did <laughs> this we? is our first time. This is we've, this is so. <laughs> if you're thinking I've heard too much of these a holes talking, uh, that's because you've heard us two weeks we've in a row now. Two episodes of two weeks. Yeah. So uh, that's gonna hopefully be the new format moving forward. Hope you guys enjoy it because a lot more yeah. us. Watch uh, out for the sci-fi round two with Emerald going even oh, yeah. more in depth. Hell yeah! Two-hour <laughs> super episode. Ooh. <laughs> Could be like a Christmas special. Bore people to death. <laughs> Oh. All right, we love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.